Welcome to the Bethel Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Chris Fallaton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ibethel.org. Good morning. How are all y'all? Good? We got a puppy. Yep. You know, receiving Jesus will change your life, and so getting a puppy, but in different ways. So we're up at three o'clock in the morning, every morning. Yes. So dreams and visions are going away. <laughs> and I have scratches all over my arms. He's learning how to bite. So, well. So um, anyway, why don't, we, why don't we pray? It's come to that. Hallelujah. Yeah. We had babies up here. One was named Hallelujah, and the other was like, praise the Lord or something. <laughs> really beautiful. It was so cool. I was like, wow, when you call your kids, you're praising God every day. That was awesome. A lot better than a neighbor we had in, in Lewiston. Their dog was named Satan. <laughs> Every time they call their dog, I'm like, we need to get this dog saved. Let's pray. Holy Spirit. That was a kind of weird way to start prayer. Holy Spirit, we pray. Um, make a message out of the mess. And Lord, we pray for the ears of the hearers and the mouth of the speaker to be anointed. Amen. 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 All right. Um, Eric sends his love to you, and uh, so does Bill. And it was Benny's birthday this week. That's kind of cool. So, big week. Um, I want to talk to you about God, government, and prosperity. So, uh, so uh, turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll, we'll jump right into verse 18. Jesus has rose from the dead. Here's the context. Jesus has rose from the dead, and he's talking to his disciples And he says this to them in verse 18. We're kind of picking up in the middle of a conversation he's having with the disciples. And Jesus came to them and spoke to them saying, all authority. Everybody say all. All "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all I commanded you. For lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Um, I want to just to begin right here, and I want to explain, when Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven, that would have not have been a revelation to the first century Jewish folks whom he was preaching to, who he was teaching, or who he was talking to. But that would have been, but when he said, on heaven and, in heaven and on earth, that would have been a revelation to the Jewish people that he was speaking to, specifically to his disciples there. Because how many understand that that Satan ruled the world until Jesus rose from the dead. And so God, in Genesis chapter 1, you, you, you know the story well probably, but God created man in his image and in his likeness, and the first thing he did is said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. So how many understand that God gave authority to man to lead the planet? And I've heard this story told in a way that isn't exactly accurate, that Adam disobeyed God and he lost authority over the planet. That's not exactly what happened. Actually, God, Adam didn't just disobey God. Adam obeyed the devil. 
So God said, don't eat the fruit. And we remember that God put two trees in the garden, a good tree and a bad tree, a tree that you can eat the tree of life and live forever, or you can eat the tree of knowledge and evil. And in the day, God said, in the day you eat this fruit, you will die. The devil, so, de- so um, Eve is in the garden and the serpent comes to Eve and says, did God say you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? And she said, no, we can eat all, from all the trees except for this one tree. If we eat it or touch it, we'll die. And, and the devil said to her, you will not die for God knows that in the day you eat that fruit, you'll be like God. How many know that they were already like God because they were created in God's image and likeness? And Genesis 1 comes before Genesis 3 where the devil talks to her. So how many understand that they were trying to get through performance what they already had through creation? And what's the point? God said, don't eat the tree. The devil said, eat the tree. God gave man authority. Man gave authority to the devil when man decided to obey the devil instead of obey God. It wasn't that man just ate, did what God told him not to do. It was also that God, I'm sorry, It's not just that Adam and Eve did what God told them not to do. It was also that Adam and Eve did what the devil told them to do. And so they passed authority. God gave it to man. Man gave it to the devil. So how was God going to give it back? Get it back. He had to come as a man because he gave authority to a man. So how many understand that the son of God became the son of man? So that the sons of men could become sons of God. So when Jesus died on the cross, he went into Sheol and, 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 and he took the keys, the keys, what keys? The keys of dominion on the earth from the devil, and now no longer does Satan rule the world. In fact, Colossians 1 says he's been disarmed and defeated. That means he has no arms or feet. If he was in your pool, he'd be named Bob. So... He has no authority. God has authority, and what did he do with his authority? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven, of course, but on earth. In other words, I just got back the keys to the earth, and I give them to you. You make disciples of all nations. How many understand we're called not just to make disciples in nations, we're called to make disciples of nations. Now, if we don't do our job as leaders and make disciples of nations, then someone else is discipling nations. I'd like to suggest to you that the Christians are discipling no nation ever right now in the world, and that the Muslims are discipling five nations. They have five, Christians have zero. And I'd like to talk to you about that. In Romans chapter 4, Paul is, we're, we're picking up in the middle of the conversation that Paul's having about Abraham. Now, Abraham was not the father of Israel. Abraham was the father of nations, plural. Are you with me? Jacob was the father of Israel. His name was changed to Israel. So, okay, so let's just read it. So in verse 17, Paul writes, A father of many nations I have made you. This is the Lord speaking to Abraham. A father of many nations I have made you. In the presence of him who he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believes, speaking of Abraham, and so he might become a father of many nations according to that which was spoken to him, so shall your descendants be. Let me just put it in plain English. God said to Abraham, you will be a father of many nations. How many know Abraham wasn't a father to a single nation while he was alive? 
And God said, then I will fulfill the promise to be a father to many nations through your descendants. That would be y'all. Because you are Abraham's children if you believe in Jesus Christ. How many know you're not Moses' children? Because Moses was born under the law. But Abraham was born, Abraham followed God by faith. And you are Abraham's children. Because you follow God by faith. And therefore, all the promises that are in Abraham are for you. And one of the promises, one of the main promises for Abraham was that you would be a father to many nations. Are you with me? I, um, I, love some, I love some of the stories in the Old Testament. I'm not too wild about Leviticus. <laughs> I've read Leviticus twice in my life. I've adventured into it a couple other times, but never got past the killings, sacrifices. Um, but I do eat meat. One of the children we were, we were um, dedicating today was eating flowers, and I'm like, well, they are vegans. <laughs> she must have read Benny's book. Anyway, uh... I love stories of the Old Testament, and I love the story of Joseph. And Joseph, as you know, had a dream that he was going to lead, that he was going to be a great leader, that his brothers would bow down to him, that his father would bow down to him, his mother would bow down to him, and his brothers throw him in a pit. And he goes from the pit to, to the, he gets sold into slavery, and he's, he gets sold into Egypt, and he becomes Potiphar's slave, Potiphar's is the uh, king's right-hand guy, and so he's Potiphar's slave. And it says this, that everything that Joseph did prospered while he was a slave. How many know it doesn't matter what happens to you as much as it matters what happens in you? And Joseph prospered Potiphar's house. Let me just say this. Joseph prospered Potiphar's house. When Joseph worked for Potiphar, because of Joseph, Potiphar prospered. And then his wife, Potiphar's wife, accused Joseph of, um, of raping her, and he went to prison. And he's in prison, and it says this, and everything that Joseph did prospered. How many know if you, put a, if you put a slave in a palace, he'll turn the palace into a prison? But if you put a prince in a prison, he'll turn the prison into a palace. It's the story of Joseph. You know the kingdom you have within you will become the kingdom around you. So everything in in that prison prospered, listen to this, because of Joseph, the prison prospered. And then finally, the king has a dream, and I'm just doing this quick because I'm going someplace else. The king has a dream, Pharaoh has a dream of seven fat calves and seven skinny calves. How many of you know that story? And he's trying to figure out what the dream means. Now this is very interesting because it's, it's inspiring to me how God can give a man who doesn't know God a dream but also give him the unction or the sense that th this dream is from a divine being that has something to do with ruling my country, and yet I have no idea what the dream means or why I have the dream. Nebuchadnezzar had the same thing. Remember this? He has a dream about this tree that's being cut down, and he's so, he gets so obsessed with the fact that this dream has something to do with his, div his divine purpose and his divine destiny that he's willing to kill all the wise men if they can't tell him the dream and the interpretation. What I'm getting at is this, is that Pharaoh is dreaming again. Are you with me? And Joseph has a dream. You remember Joseph has the dream? I told you earlier that he was going to be a ruler. And so Joseph ends up in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a dream and tells Joseph the dream. And Joseph said, well, let me tell you what that means. And he talks about the seven fat calves or seven great years. 
the seven skinny calves are seven years of famine, and the bad years will eat, all, the good years will eat the bad years. And, and by the way, I got a plan if you'd like to know what it is. Do you know how Joseph knew how to interpret Pharaoh's dreams? Because he was raised by dreamers. His great-grandfather Abraham was a dreamer. His, his grandfather Isaac was a dreamer. His, his father Jacob had a dream and, and with a ladder. And how many understand that Joseph was raised in a family of dreamers? He didn't go to a dream interpretation class. He was raised in a family that taught him the supernatural ways of God. Someone should write a book about that. <laughs> Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh and saves the country. Think about this. If Pharaoh didn't dream, Joseph would die in prison. But if Joseph didn't dream, Pharaoh would die in a famine. I'd like to propose to you that Pharaoh is dreaming again. The world is dreaming. And Joseph, the church, is dreaming. And that we are partners in destiny. That we're not of the world, but how many know we've come to be a light of the world? We are not the light of the church. We're the light of the world. How many know when <laughs> we're the light of the world, and when, people, when you turn the light on, people don't come to see the light. They come to see. I didn't get what I just said. I said, when you turn the light on, I don't come in here to look at the light. I come in here so I can see. I turn the light on not so I can see the light, but so that I can see. We, listen, I'm telling you, Pharaoh is dreaming again. You go to some of these movies, they're profound. Only problem is Pharaoh has no idea what he's talking about. But he knows it's profound, he knows it's divine, and he knows it has something to do with his divine destiny. But don't worry, because Joseph is dreaming too. Joseph is dreaming again. In the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And Joseph is dreaming again. How many of you understand that if we stay out of the world, Joseph, Pharaoh dies in a famine? But if we don't get connected to the world, Joseph dies in prison. Do you get this so you know where I'm going? Isaiah 9, verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, not his head. How many know Jesus is the head and we are the body? And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. I want to just make two comments or at least two comments about this verse. The first one, did you notice that Jesus is not sitting on his throne? He's sitting on the throne of David forever and forever. God is not ashamed of humanity. <laughs> and the second thing I want to say is, did you notice that his government is ever increasing? So if Isaiah could say that 2,500 years ago and his government was increasing then, how many know his government just isn't just perpetuating, it's increasing? And how many know you've come into the kingdom, the king's dominion? Where is his government increasing? Well, the first place it's increasing is in you because God is governing you because you're in the kingdom. You're in the king's dominion. The king has dominion over you. How many know you can't lead unless he leads you? So the government of God is perpetuating. It's not just perpetuating, it's actually getting greater. 
And the result of, of God's government is what? Peace. Let me say it again. You know where God's ruling because wherever God's ruling, there's peace. The outcome of God's rulership is peace. How important is government? I love this example. In, uh, in several years ago, they built Shasta College in our community. And when the contractor got done building the building, he did not pour sidewalks anywhere. He planted grass around the entire building, and he waited for one year for the staff and the, and the uh, faculty and the students to wear out the lawn. And where they wore out the lawn, he poured sidewalks. How many know government should be? That's a great example of government that, that actually perpetuate your divine destiny and fully actualizes your personhood. Like, this is great government. Are you with me? How important is government? Without great government, gov with, you know, with bad government oppresses you, great government empowers you. There's a great life, live experiment going on right now about government. After the Second World War, Korea was broke into two countries, North and South Korea. They put a six-inch wall down the center of a continent, relatively the center of a continent. The Russians influenced the North, and the Western uh, world influenced the South. South Korea, North Korea. Same people group, same ethnic group, same continent, same natural resources, same language. Put a six-inch wall between them and put communism on one side and put democracy on the other side. What happens 50 years later? One country can't feed itself. The other country's thriving. What I'm getting at is this. The only difference between the two countries is government. You're like, I don't care about government. That's because you have freedom. If you were in North Korea, you would care about government. Like, tell me something that's relevant to me. I am telling you something that's very relevant to you. Ladies, until 1920, you couldn't even vote in this country. You spent 47 years getting the right to vote. And I bet most women voted in, 19, in 1920, 1930, 1940, 1950. But I bet you half our ladies do not vote anymore. You know why? Because you got it the way you want it. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. The first way you begin to disciple nations is to do what you can do in the place that you're at because God doesn't give you more until you're doing what you're doing. Somebody once said, all that evil needs to, to grow is for good men to do nothing. So I want to encourage you, government is, is meaningful. Government's powerful. And, you know, you, you know in, I don't know if you know this, but my grandfather was a farmer, and in America, they actually pay farmers to, not, to drop some of their fruit on the ground. In my grandfather's day, it was 20%. So literally, you would get paid for fruit you didn't sell. You know why? Because farmers in America make too much food, too much fruit. They make, you, you with me? They produce so much fruit that if they, if they actually let it all go to market, the price would drop so low that it wouldn't, no farmer could actually be in business. So the government goes, you make too much food. Get this, North Korea can't, make, can't produce enough food to feed their own people. You take a different government, it produces so much food, the government has to go, don't, Produce all that food. Pressed down, shaken together, running out all over. <laughs> Isaiah 61, 
I love these verses. This is the very first verses the Lord gave me. It's actually, I signed most of my books with Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, and I want to read it to you. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to speak release to captives and freedom to prisoners, the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to grant all those who mourn, giving them a garland instead of ashes, a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. But listen to where it ends. And then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. What happens when when you get delivered, saved, healed, and your family's healed up. Then God goes, all right, now work in the city and restore the ruined city. In other words, once you get it good, it's your responsibility to get it good for everyone else. Isaiah 58. This is the um, verse, this is the chapter where God says, you know, the va- you know the fast I choose? And he begins to talk to them about the fast that he chooses. Verse 9, then they will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke in your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness, and your gloom will be like noonday. The Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desires in scorched places and give your bones, give strength to your bones. You'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, who's, like a spring whose waters never fail. And those from among you, listen to this, will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. How many know in Isaiah, God says, I'm going to restore you, Isaiah 61. I'm going to restore you, and the goal is for you to restore cities. In Isaiah 58, God goes, this is, the, this is the fast I choose. Not that you would fast food, but that you would help your city. Amos chapter 9. In that day, God says, verse 11, it's Amos 9:11. Here's Amos's 9:11. In that day, I'll raise up the fallen booth of David. I'll wall up its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. That they may possess the remnant of the world and that all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. Then the mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. Also, also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. Now listen to this. So God says, I'm going to raise up the fallen booth of David. You know what David was famous for? 24 hour, seven day a week worship for 40 years. God says, I'm going to rebuild that in the last days. Why am I going to do it? So I can reach the world and rebuild the cities. In Acts chapter 19, Peter is talking to the apostles about God moving on the lives of the Gentiles. And Peter's saying, listen, God's moving on the Gentiles just like he's moving on us. Signs and wonders and miracles are happening among the Gentiles, and I actually think they're supposed to be part of us. In other words, it's not just about the Jews. It's about all of us. And James stands up, and says this, Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after these things I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, 
so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. What am I, what am I saying this morning? I'm saying God cares about cities. I don't know what your eschatology is, says, but my eschatology says God cares about cities. And that when you get well, your job is to help everyone else get well. The idea that, that the world needs to get worse so Jesus could come back, I think that's a doctrine of demons. I think demons taught us that. Because my Bible says that God says, when you get well, help your city to get well. In fact, he prayed, told us to pray this prayer, right? Our Father who's in heaven, come on, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom, come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a good word. But how? Like, what does it look like when the kingdom comes? Like, what does it actually look like? Okay, I'm ready to disciple nations. What do I do? I have a Bible study with the president. Well, that would be good. But is that what we do? Because has anyone else thought about this? Like, all right, I'm going to disciple nations. Give me one. I'm ready. And what would I do with it? So I want to talk a little bit about what's it look like to disciple a nation? Like, what do we actually do? And the first thing I want to point out to you that God leads nations differently than he leads his church. <laughs> Here we go. Some of you are going to be upset when I'm done. And it will deeply bother me. <laughs> How many of you believe that we should not fear men? That the fear of man is a snare? Some of you are like, mm, not raising my hand this morning. Turn to Romans chapter 13. What does it look like for the kingdom to come? What does it look like for believers to actually be involved in government? What does it look like? Verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Let me stop right there and say this. This was not written in Ronald Reagan's era. When Paul wrote this, he was in Rome, and Nero was the leader. So some people are like, wow, he didn't understand what we were going through. Yeah, yeah, right. Now, what's Paul saying? Paul is saying, Paul is saying that God has granted men to have authority over other men. In other words, the concept that I'm driving down the road and a black and white car turns their light on me, and I pull over. Why do I pull over? Like, he's a man, I'm a man. He has flaws, I have flaws. Maybe he's a sinner, I might be a saint. I mean, why should I pull over for him? You should pull over because government is actually God's idea. And the idea that men could lead other men, even though they're flawed or broken, is God's idea. The idea, when you come down to the end of the light, like, who chose to put a stoplight down there? I don't want a stoplight down there. I mean, who sanctioned that? The idea that the light turns red and you stop. Who? What if I don't want to stop? I know some of you, you come from countries. I've been to your countries. Like, it's just a suggestion in our country. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. It's just a suggestion. I have no idea who did that, but I didn't vote for it. I'll tell you that. I'm saying what Paul is addressing is the idea that government, that people actually have authority over other people for the sake of peace. Are you with me? Okay, now listen to this. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. 
And they who have opposed shall receive condemnation upon yourselves, upon themselves. There is no, therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There isn't in Christ Jesus, but there is in government. It's going to get worse. Verse 3, for rulers, for rulers is not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is, listen to this, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. I'm sorry, say it again. Chris, thank you for that. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger of those who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Wow, is this in the Old Covenant? No, it's the New Testament. Okay, I'll read on. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake, for because of you, because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. I love this verse. Render all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, and honor to whom honor is due. Now, I did a Facebook post, a blog, not long ago, that really got people happy. <laughs> we have crisis in our country. In fact, we have a global crisis. We have ISIS killing people, and we have Christians like, oh, we should just love them. We just love our enemies. We love our enemies, but government does not love enemies. Government protects us from enemies. And I'm saying, what you do personally, listen, you cannot grab a gun and go, well, I'm, you know what, I hate crime. I'm just going to get my car, paint it black and white, and go go after criminals. You can't do that because you're under love your enemies. <laughs> but government is commissioned to behave differently. Be government is commissioned to bring peace through the sword. Listen, you're like, oh, I don't agree with that. Okay, when someone breaks into your house, do you call 911? And when you do, do you hope he brings a Bible or a gun? <laughs> See, the truth is, is that you practically agree, even though you theologically don't agree. Because when I get, when someone's breaking into my house, I want the cops there soon, and I want to bring a bigger gun than the one the guy got. And if he continues to attack my family, I want him to use it. And I want to propose to you that he is commissioned by God in government to use his weapon to protect us. Here's the problem. When Christians get in government, they don't understand that government has different policies in God's perspective. So God said even in the Old Covenant, I understand we're not in the Old Covenant, but just a little contrast. God said, thou shalt not murder. Right? He gave them the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. I think it's the Fifth Commandment. Three chapters later, he goes, go into the land and kill everybody. Yeah. You just told me not to kill anybody. That's you personally. But corporately, I'm telling you, you have to drive out people from your land. Now, we're in a new covenant, thank God for that. But my point is, is that even in the old covenant, God said don't murder, but he doesn't count defending your country as a murder. I'm saying Christians don't get it. They get into government and they're trying to be, oh, Jesus is love kissing babies. It's like, that's all good. Kiss babies, but protect the land. So I'm going to give you 10 things that I got out of Romans 13. One, everyone should be in subjection to authority. Number two, all authorities from God. 
Number three, if you resist authority, you're resisting God. Number four, rulers are a cause to fear if you have bad behavior. God said, make sure that, that people who are evil fear you, your government. <laughs> okay. Number six, God's commission uh, a government, I'm sorry, God's commission government authority to carry a sword and to use it on the unruly. Number seven, government is authorized to bring the wrath of God. Number eight, government officials are ministers of God. Number nine, you should render fear to people who you should render fear to. And number 10, this was written in Nero's day. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they'll love it. My wife's saying, you should put that on your blog. I'm like, yeah, I did that already. <laughs> Do you know that when Jesus returns that he will rule the nations with a rod of iron? Yeah, he ain't coming back to get put on a cross again. <laughs> People have an odd idea. That they think, well, Jesus is so passive. Personally, he is, but corporately, he's not. So here, I'm saying this, that God does not lead the world like he leads the church. So if you are involved in government, neither should you. I'm saying if you're going to be a disciple, if you want to make disciples of nations, and if, or if that means for you that you should get into government, you have to realize that leading the world is not like leading the church. Let me give you a part two. God put two trees in the garden. God did. The devil didn't plant one. God planted them both. And Romans 1 says God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in what God made. What's the point? You can see the nature of God in nature. Why did God put two trees in the garden? If he didn't want Adam to eat the second tree, why not leave it out? Because God is the God of choices. In Sharia law, Sharia law takes away people's choices. If you commit adultery, you get stoned. If you're a homosexual, you get stoned. That's not God's way. God gives people choices. God empowers people to do good and evil. You didn't hear what I just said. Jesus is the one who made wine for people who are already drunk. Now, the Europeans knew this years ago. The Americans still struggle with it. No, no, Jesus wouldn't do that. Yes, the word's metros. It means to be drunk. Jesus made wine for people who are already drunk. Why would he do that? Because the only way to get a reward for doing the right thing is to have the opportunity to do the wrong one. I'm saying when government takes away people's ability to do evil, unless that evil is perpetuated on another human being. Did you get what I just said? That's why things are complicated. In other words, I can go in my house and get drunk. I can go home and get drunk if I want to get drunk. And by the way, God says government should let you do that. But if I beat my wife, government should do something about that because your drunkenness cannot harm another person. Government has the right to say, no, you can't drive drunk. You can stay in your closet and be drunk. You can stay at home and be drunk. But if, you're going, if your drunkenness is going to harm someone else, government has something to do with that. What I'm getting at is it is a little bit complex because God says thou shalt not murder, but God lets people be immoral. I said God let people be immoral. God did. He actually put up the second tree in the garden. Oh, you want it to be worse? He put the devil on the same planet he put you on. I mean, I looked up there the other night, and it's like, oh my goodness, he had lots of choices. <laughs> but the only way to be able to choose a God is to have a choice for another God. So I'm saying, if you become a government official, you, have the, you, you, cannot, you, can, <laughs> you cannot 
<laughs> you cannot beat people into purity. So you're like, well, I don't believe in homosexuality. That's fine, but you do believe in giving people the right to behave the way they want to behave to consenting adults. That's what God does. How many know God's in charge, but he's not in control? Okay, thank you. And by the way, sin didn't originate with Adam and Eve. The, devil, uh, the demons, the angels, sinned before there was ever humans. Which tells me that there will be free will in heaven. And by the way, God's not in heaven. So can we get rid of that myth? Heaven is in God. David said, the heavens, the highest heavens cannot contain him. By the way, heaven is a created thing. God created the heavens and the earth. How many understand that God was around before the heavens, which means God can't possibly live in heaven, because where would God live before heaven? When I get to heaven, God's not going to be there? Yeah, God will be there, because heaven is inside of God. Thank you, Chris. For... I want you to remember 10 things to remember about the way God governs. Number one, I already said it, God's in charge, but he's not in control. Number two, free will is the nature of God's government. Number three, taking away people's ability to do evil is not the kingdom. Number four, God's government protects freedom of choice. Number five, God's government does not allow one person to harm another. Number six, God protects the right of person to sin. Number seven, righteous, righteousness always begins from the inside out. Number eight, laws are the practical application of government's responsibility to protect its people from harm and keep the peace. Number nine, God leads his church differently than he leads the world. And number 10, God uses force on people who try to harm others. I'm going to give you a few more points. Well, let me read you a verse first. Are you bored? Okay. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus said, You heard it said, Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You'd be like my Father in heaven who makes it rain on the righteous and the what? Unrighteous. And he also sends son on the evil and the good. What's the point? God blesses both evil and good and makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Are you following me? So we can't lead a country the way we lead a church. God, it's not God's way to, to Christianize a country. The role of government is not to evangelize it's peace. Evangelism is the role of the church. So it's like, we want to get the most part. We'd like to have Billy Graham be our president. Well, he's kind of old now. Constantine tried that. It didn't work. I believe in the, I believe in the separation of church and state. And so it's a Jew. Because there's not just Christianity in America, there's Buddhism and Mohammedism and Satanism. How many of you know that if you didn't have the separation of church and state, Satanists in your town could teach their religion to your children in your school? And they're already teaching homosexuality, and I understand all that, but I'm saying you want the separation of church and state because you want the, you want the, you want the church to teach your children about God. You want the state to teach them math. <laughs> Are you with me? You, you don't want the Muslims and the Buddhists and every other ism to be in the school system and having the same permission you have to talk to your children. You want 
to say to my children, I'll teach my children about God. You just teach them math and science and history. That'll be fine. I understand it's not that simple, but I'm simply saying we all actually, if you think through it, you actually want the separation of church and state. You actually do. Our forefathers were pretty smart. We have um, a pretty unique opportunity here. We, some years ago, we took over the Civic Auditorium. It's a lot longer story than I'm going to tell you right now, but I'm going to tell you just a piece of it. We went to the, um, the city was going, to ch- was going to close the Civic Auditorium. A couple of our people, uh, Julie Winter, who's actually running for city council. By the way, you should pray for Julie. Um, but she had a dream that we actually were running the Civic Auditorium. This is like seven years ago. She came and talked to me about that. I, I had already talked to Bill about it. I, I didn't know it was God. I just thought it was a great idea. And so, and then uh, a, man from, um, a man from Australia named Nuno had a dream that, we, that the city gave us a building. It was all concrete and it was shaped like a chimney. <laughs> that was one month after Julie had a dream that we took over the Civic Auditorium. Anyway, the shorter story is that we went to the city. We asked them about it if we could take over the Civic because they were going to close it anyway, and that began a process. And the process is way too long to explain in the four minutes I have left, seven minutes on this. So we, we developed, a, we started a separate corporation called Advanced Reading. It's a nonprofit, non-religious, public benefit corporation. Did you get that? Nonprofit, non-religious, public benefit corporation. In other words, Bethel does not own it, and Bethel does not run it. But there's a bunch of Bethel people on it, like I'm the chairman of the board. So we started this corporation, and through a series of conversations and dealings with the city, the city that we went to the city council, and we were supposed to propose, build, I mean, develop a proposal to take over the civic auditorium and pay them what would eventually be $25,000 a month rent instead of the $1.8 million it was costing them to run it. They would actually gain money. We get to the civic auditorium, and there was a... They, um, there was a group of, of people in our community that called themselves Sa- the Save the Civic Center team. Save the Civic Center meant Save the Civic Center from Bethel. <laughs> About 250 of them showed up at the, at the city council meeting. We asked none of our people to go, so it was 250 of them and three of us. And they were actually had cheerleaders cheerleading against us. And so we got to listen. They had each... Um, each of them had three minutes to speak, so there was about 30 of them that did. And so we listened for, for about three and a half hours. And the basic, I'll, I'll, I'll capsulize their basic fear. This place, Reading, is going to become U- uh, Mormon Utah. The Christians are going to take over. They're going to Christianize everything. They're going to only have Christian shows at the Civic Auditorium, da-da-da. And we don't want to be forced into Christianity. But what they didn't know is that we had already agreed to run the Civic for the benefit of our city and have the city core values determine who's going to be on stage. So anyway, the short story is is that passed and we became the leaders of Advanced Reading received the Civic Auditorium. That's awesome. Let me tell you the downside. We have shows like Five Finger Death Punch, that my team, me and my team, invite to the Civic Auditorium. Well, you shouldn't do that. 
I know, but if you're going to lead a city, you lead it differently than you lead a church. So now, I get, this is the first time I've actually been in a place of authority where I have to actually confront what Daniel, Joseph, Esther, and these people confronted. How do I benefit a system that is inherently not necessarily righteous? I'm not talking about a people. I'm talking about a system. This is the world. And the Lord says, Joseph served Pharaoh. <laughs> Daniel served Nebuchadnezzar. Esther was married to Exusius, who wasn't a believer. How did that happen? Well, I don't know, but if we're going to make disciples of nations, we better well figure it out. Because what we typically hope a politician is going to do is we're going to vote this guy in or this girl in, and she's going to Christianize the country. And we have this idea that if the kingdom came, everybody would be Christians. If you read the book of Revelation, God's not, Jesus isn't carrying the rod of iron because they're all believers. That'll wreck your theology right there. <laughs> so I'm saying, I'm saying the first thing that has to happen in our lives is if we're going to make disciples of nations, we better figure out how God rules. Because I'd propose to you that God leads a church much differently than he leads a city. And he leads a country much differently than he leads the church. And if you're going to be relevant in a godly way to your city and you're going to be involved in government and you're even going to learn how to vote, you're not necessarily going to vote for all the things you want because you're voting for, for laws that actually are not just for you. They're for people who don't believe like you. So when we come to, when we come to civil government and we come to people who don't know God, pulling out your Bible is, and saying, well, God said, well, they don't care what God said because they don't even believe in your Bible and most of, half of them don't believe in your God you believe in. So I'm saying, okay, let's see how to say this. How many know that murder is wrong not because the Bible says so? But it's in the Bible. Adultery is wrong not because it's in the Bible, but because it's morally wrong. Are you with me? I'm saying when we're teaching the nations the ways of God, freedom is part of God's world. He gives people freedom to do things that are wrong as long as it doesn't harm another person. This is the way of God. And taking away the second tree is not called sanctification. It's called control. So navigating this alligator swamp, it's like, all right, where does government have the right? And you know, we're talking about things like abortion, and we're on both sides of that issue. I'm not on that, on that side of the issue. I... Uh, you know, abortion, in my mind, is something government should be involved in because as soon as you are pregnant, there's two people involved. And so, it's, so I'm saying the government should be involved when one person wants to harm another. And therefore, it is something government should be involved in. But the people who are on the other side, they're not pro-abortion. They're pro-government should not tell a woman what to do with her body. They're simply saying, I believe in choice. And I'm saying, so does God, unless your choice harms another person. Are you with me? I'm simply saying this, you know, we're like, we victimize the people who are on the other side. We're like, they just want to kill babies. No, they don't want to kill babies. They want to give people freedom to do what's right or what's wrong. And so does God. Are you with me? Good word, Chris. Thank you. Listen, I have one minute. 
God's raising up a generation who's going to do what he told us to do in the beginning, and that is lead. Lead. What we do is like, I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. I'll hide in the church. Well, we're hiding in the church, and we're supposed to be the light of the world, and here we are hiding under the basket. It's like we have to get out into the world and actually learn how to lead people who don't agree with us and we don't agree with and learn how to lead them in a way that we don't control them. You can't punish people into purity. And we have to figure this out, and I understand that it's 10 times more complicated than my message today. I understand that. But we're not going to figure out from the sideline. you got to get in the swamp and start fighting the alligators and figure it out. But if we don't, we're going to relegate ourselves to allowing people who aren't righteous to lead. And when the righteous rule, people rejoice. Everybody rejoices when the righteous rule, except for a few people that want to harm others. So why don't you stand? I'm going to have you pray the same prayer I had first service pray. Put your hand on your heart and say, Help God. Help. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit Bethel.tv for other exciting new content from Bethel Church. 